I am joined by Brendan Brown from Wheatus. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> How you doing? I'm, I'm okay, man. I'm uh, I'm on the mend from COVID land. But yes. I'm okay. Yeah. You yeah. you were saying you you look like the, a fine specimen of a man that is getting over <laughs> COVID, right? Oh, go on, you old so-and-so. You. <laughs> if that doesn't get me a free ticket to one of your fucking gigs, then then I don't know what will, man. Um, Guest list for life, man. Yes! <laughs> um, Compliments will get you everywhere. Exactly right. Um, we, despite already having uh, some sort of really strange connection already, um, we have never actually spoken before. We've never met. And I wanted to break the ice with you by asking a question that I ask all my guests and it's a fantastic question I think because it always generates a really interesting response um, dependent on whether or not you're a fan of what I'm about to ask. Brendan, since 1995 and being in Wheatus, what has been the biggest spinal tap moment of your career? (laughs) Yes! There have been so many, man. Oh, boy. Oh, that is so tough. That is so tough. I love um, this question, man. It's my favorite. Man, because it's there, there are too many answers. Is the real problem is picking the singularity of it all. Okay. Um, but it's a real testament to actual being a mm, you know a, a rock band, right? Yeah. Oh boy. Um, I'll tell you. I'll, Go on. So you, yes. you, you think that this is the kind of thing that happens to you early on, and as you become seasoned and more, more, you know, well versed in the in the ins and outs, mm-hmm. it, that happens to you less and less. But that, in fact, is not true. I would say that the most recent, sort of glaring example of the Spinal Tap moment was um, we played a couple of absolutely brilliant festivals in South Africa in 2019, Mm -hmm. just, just about uh, six months before pandemic set in. And uh, it was amazing. They put us on safari. We got to go in the national park and see the wild animals and, and, and uh, be in nature. And then of course, at the end of it all, we had these two festivals and um, uh, the first of them was on a, on a mountain cheese farm. Okay. and what we didn't really understand nor could we tell from the safari was that we were in the height of monsoon season right okay so uh needless to say um the stage and and this festival in front of about twenty thousand people there at this cheese farm you know <laughs> and um uh the monsoon came and it yeah. came uh in spectacular fashion i mean you oh, look wow. up monsoon in the dictionary and there's yeah, a yeah, picture yeah. of us standing there on this hill <laughs> but uh but the, um, the most hilarious thing about it was, you know, there were all sorts of delays and are we going to be able to do this? And everybody's inundated and what's right. going on? And, well, there's a clearing predicted for from 12 midnight till 1 a.m. So perhaps we'll get you in that window. Oh, there. wow. So we did exactly that and we played and it didn't abate at all the wind, the wind was it was raining upward you know and, and then we were we were on this big stage with these, these scaffolds and lighting fixtures and all this stuff above us and electronics wow. above us that would be devastating if it all fell and you know we're kind of just winging a prayer in this whole thing and our laptops are shorting out and <laughs> ear is on the fritz and it's sometimes the sounds coming out of the speakers sometimes it's not oh, and no. we finally get the teenage dirtbag and we're right right about to hit the girl part right that everything the crowd has waited for this in the range for this whole time yeah and, and i look over 
and they're trying to get my attention on the side of the stage. And there's this was effectively, it wasn't effectively, it was actually a military officer, somebody from the army or armed services of some oh my kind God. is going. Oh my God. Right now. He, and, so, and it was like, not another second, not 30 seconds right now you're done. Oh, so, wow. And that was because the wind warning was such that they were concerned for a mudslide. <gasps> right. So everything shuts down. The, everyone's running around like chickens without heads, shutting down all these generators and powering everything off. No. And we get our gear collected and we're soaked to the bone and we get back to this little tent, effectively like in the jungle right behind the stage, you know, in, in, in the bush. And, uh, and uh, we're in the tent. We're looking at each other like, we made it, huh? Right? Okay, good. <laughs> And just as we realized we get it, we got out of there with our, our lives intact, the lights go out. No. So now we're on a, on a mountainside in the bush, in the pitch black, with no concept of where we can go to get to the cars or any of that stuff. It's just oh, wow. pitch black in the jungle. And uh, that, to make the long story short, it, the next six hours we had to figure out how to get out of there. And the uh, South African uh, National Guard had to be called in to rescue the, the concert goers. And oh, was, wow. I, I, do you know, Harry, <laughs> as Spinal Tap moments go, Brendan, I think that's up there from what I've heard <laughs> from various people. Yeah. Um, that is cool. and, you know, what was crazy is like we met and saw and interacted with a lot of people who worked very hard that day in the most adverse circumstances to make sure that we got onto that stage. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see a single one of them after that. I didn't get to thank anybody. Oh, I get no. to say goodbye. It was just chaos like absolute no. you know and it was it was a proper disaster it was it was one of those like wow uh yeah so there's video of it somewhere on the internet that's uh, uh that's a story for the grandkids man that's that yeah. is that's both hilarious it was and wild terrifying. but it was a proper south african gig because you know they don't fuck around down there no I no mean, no that's they're they're, they're they're made of a special kind of stuff and they and they keep going our driver in particular was so robust this guy, I've got to befriend him. He was like one of those people who you want to know for the rest of your life. He was yeah, native, yeah, yeah, native yeah. South African. He had been through just about every version of the country that you could imagine. And he was still in it to love to love the place and wanted to make everything happen. And this guy was just full, a positive ball of positive energy. It was incredible, but um, that's, that's, yeah, that's unreal. Um, I, I have to, I have to talk to you about the success of Teenage Dirtbag. Obviously, you mentioned it in the story. Can I ask you really, really honestly, are you sick of that song? No, not not for a second, not even remotely. Um, and and I, I guess the, the, the next part of my question before you, you, you begin to talk about it, because I, I just have to talk about it. It was so successful. Um, yeah. Not only, you know, did it, did it sell 5 million copies, but also, you know, I, I was looking at some of your stats today and I, on Spotify, it's been streamed 362 million times. That is unbelievable. That's about seven quid in it. That's seven yeah. pounds, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I, could, I could buy you a drink with that, mate. <laughs> um, I spent my weekends um, as a as a teenager. Uh, I said to you before we came on, playing Tony Hawk's, watching the American Pie films, listening to Teenage Dirtbag. I mean, there was a real era 
when teen movies and pop punk and power pop were a, a real high. But why do you think Teenage Dirtbag was able to um, get to the success that it did? Well, for the same reason that we're not bored of it, um, Teenage Dirtbag represents us, represents me as a songwriter accurately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a personal identity song for for me right. for us and yes i think a lot of the acts from our generation weren't so lucky some succeeded with covers that didn't quite represent the rest of their catalog okay and and therefore were um are you referring judged. to alien ant farm yeah no well that they my favorite song of theirs was always movies yeah great track um so, but uh but the um but but along those lines, labels were quick to to go with a cover, um, yeah. you know. Uh, so many bands wound up in that situation where they had the kitschy cover that that, and we did too. We were one of those, but we were lucky enough also to have gone first with our own song. Yeah, and um, I think that's made a big difference. Um, Teenage Starpeg is also uh, has somehow spanned uh generations in terms of its content yes yes relatability um my father once said that uh it doesn't matter what generation you're from or who you are you always every every person growing up experiences some version of loneliness some people Mm. are able to incorporate it into their worldview and and mature and Mm. some people some people fall through the cracks and it's for for whom it's very can be devastating and and but whoever you are, whatever part of the spectrum you're on, you experience it in some way. So I think like multi-generational experience is, is written into it in some fashion. Yes. Um, you know, I've often said that it's more important uh, what you think of it than what I intended. Um, okay. You know, author's intention is not as important as how you feel when you're singing it to yourself in the shower sort of thing. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I get that. Yeah. So, however, people make it their own is is the the measure of its um, sustainability. I think you know lyrically, as you say, you know, so many people can relate to that, and myself included. You know, I was always kind of the rock geek in school when everyone else was reading Playboy. I was reading Modern Drummer magazine, right? So that was <laughs> that was kind of like where, where I was in life. We um, had a my my version of that is we had an essay. Uh, what what sport are you good at? And mine was frog catching. <laughs> That's incredible. That's amazing. But I, I, I think you know, like teenage dirtbag is to power pop and and um, uh, I don't know, uh, pop punk. What like the final countdown is to eighties glam rock. Like I think it's, <laughs> I think it's infamous. I think it's untouchable, and I, and I, I kind of think it always will be. As a as a musician, Brendan, I, you know, I've I've heard the catalogue of music that Wheatus has, has, has produced. I, I know that as a musician, you are not only dedicated, but very talented. Do you ever feel like you're in competition with yourself to produce something uh, as, as commercially um, successful as Teenage Dirtbag? No, 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 no. Quite the opposite. Uh, we are, um, we don't play the, the celebrity game very well. Um, I, even early on when it was supposed to be our jobs, we weren't very good at playing ball with the label or or okay. showing up at the red carpet uh, uh properly and any of that so um that's just not who we are and i think that um having created a, a piece of work that goes out there and sort of climbs those mountains for us and and mm. uh, smooth smooths that road is has been um 
a blessing and not a curse, you know? Um, yes. So I, we, we don't, um, we don't feel like teenage dirtbag is something to be bested. We feel like it's something to just kind of like, let it, let it tell us what's next. You know, okay. it's our manager, it's our lawyer, it's our PR company, it's our record label. And we've been independent, 100% independent since 2005. Wow. So, yeah. So anything you've heard or seen of us since 2005 has been a uh, natural occurrence, if you will. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. And not part of any sort of multinational uh, campaign or anything like that. Also, one thing is, as a musician myself, well, I say musician, drummer, um, as, a, as, a, as a musician myself, um, one thing I noticed that you have got an incredible range. Your voice is, is, can get really, really high. And how, how was that growing up with such an um, interesting sounding voice that maybe didn't sound like the, the bands that you were listening to in, in high school? Well, well it wasn't great. Um, I think... Uh my speaking voice, especially when I was uh, an adolescent, um, I remember seven, eight, nine, ten years old, a lot of fist fights, oh. uh, a lot of beat downs, a lot of sort of like, um, you know, you just, you kind of had to fight. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Um, uh, and I, I, uh, you know, I kind of, I'm st I still work on that sometimes because it's hard to extract yourself from the environment that you grew up in. Uh, that was reinforced for years and years and years. And then you get out into the world and you realize, well, not everybody tells each other to fuck themselves and fight, you know, right now, that kind of thing. Sure. Long Island was a place that was uh, sort of fists first. And, um, okay. you know, and I, uh, having a voice like that didn't help. <laughs> no, I but, um, but I would, uh, I would use it sometimes to. You embraced was, it though. Yeah, you embraced kinda. it and it made you, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's your signature sound. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in that moment where crafting the narrative of Teenage Dirtbag and trying to figure out how the second and third act were going to be, um, there was this sort of like, yeah, am I going to be the girl in this song? Like, should I do that? And I didn't mm. have anybody else in the band at the time who could even come close to doing something like that. So the answer was yes. Um, and that's how it went. Come, sorry. Can you hold on one second? Of I course. just have to close a door. I apologize. Of course. That's fine. Sorry about that. No, no, no. Don't be silly. I, I really appreciate your time. So it's, it's, it's completely fine. It's okay. My COVID brain left the door open. And of course, this is... <laughs> That's all right, man. Don't worry. Um, so, yeah. So, so we're, we're talking about, um, you know, you, you, you went through um, kind of what sounded to be quite a traumatic time growing up um, and being targeted um, by people because of you know how, how you how you sounded but then you've used that to your advantage and, and it's it's made you extremely successful well i what you know it wasn't clear that i was using it to any advantage when i decided to do it sure it was kind of a leap in the dark in fact i think if we had any sort of conventional um expertise or advice at the time it would have been to not do that mm. um and of course, a few years down the road when Teenage Dirtbag was um, being uh, distributed by a major uh, label, there was a lot of sort of like, well, can you sing any more like a man and that kind of thing. Okay. 
because of course we came up uh right on the cusp of like new metal and yes. lots of sort of gr- post like second wave grunge sort of post grunge kind of mm-hmm. heavy rock and none of that sounded like um i did so yeah you know there was a bit of sort of being misfit in the success of it as well even though it had done something it um, worked but it worked it worked yeah, it worked uh, in spite of itself and and um, became this thing um, that was countervalent to everything that was going on. And I think a lot of people will kind of put us in this sort of, like you mentioned, uh, pop punk. Um, well, we weren't, that was a lot of Southern California music happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Save Ferris and, um, uh, you know, Goldfinger and mm-hmm. um, Blink-182 and, of course, yeah. Green Day. And the, the, that sort of uh, class of 96 through 99 mm. Orange County pop punk movement um, didn't represent us at all, okay. really. With Teenage Dirtbag, if you notice, sort of a laconic, almost a hip-hop tempo. Um, yes, yes. A bit, bit more eclectic than your typical SoCal yes. guitar rock would be. It's... um. Uh, it's got acoustic guitars in the, mm-hmm. in the verses that kind of sound like a James Taylor song or, yeah, or a Mark, yeah, yeah, Mark yeah, Knopfler yeah. kind of piece. And then, of course, it opens up into sort of Metallica <laughs> crunch um, or Metallica wannabe. <laughs> and and uh, I think that I think that there was nothing else that they could call it at the time. If it was successful, okay. it was sort of like pop punk, you know. Um, sure. See, yeah. I, 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 do you know, I, I'm going to go off on a tandem here. I have a massive issue with two words that are banded around the music industry at the moment. Um, and they're two words that I think have been kind of lazily used by music journalists that don't have the vocabulary to explain or describe what they're listening to. Uh, one is alternative. I really hate that word because it doesn't mean anything. It's an alternative to, to what? You know, you go down. Well, the... in, when, I, when I was uh, uh, 16, okay. alternative meant something it was it was the alternative to hair metal yes and yes it was the cure and the smiths and the smithereens and the stone roses and not ned's atomic dustbin and <laughs> Susie and the banshees yeah, yeah. and it was a lot of sort of brit pop and brit pop influenced um non-hair metal music the, yeah and and, and I, I totally get the the, the bands that it's, it's coming from I'm, I'm the, the reason and the other word I, I really uh, don't like is unique um because of as, as I've said before you know unless you're kind of playing the Peruvian nose flute it's not going to be um yeah, it's not going to be unique right that word is ruined intertwining with what you were just sort of speaking about a moment ago regarding um, Britpop and and how alternative was used in the, in the 90s and how it's used now with the introduction of the internet you brendan have probably witnessed the biggest power shift from major label to the consumer to the fan do you think that the introduction of the internet streaming services websites social media do you think those things have been a positive tool for the aspiring musician or is it the music industry slitting its own throat I think it's neither. I think it's the music industry uh, desperately attempting to maintain revenue streams that are long gone. Um, At the same time that I think it has democratized and diversified um, art, the type of art that we are exposed to and have access to. Mm. When I was 10 years old, 
very few options. Um, there was the radio, which was very formatted. There mm -hmm. were music stores, which were uh, sort of corporate chains, uh, but for your independence here and there. But they also followed suit a, a lot closer than uh, the independent. The mm. word independent would denote now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I'm happy to see that um, you know there's you can really just find stuff find new stuff find your own stuff if you're willing yeah. to look and you're a music fan you can you can customize your tastes mm. and your library pretty extensively yes um, and that's fantastic um in some ways um the way that deals have changed and the way that um uh popularity in terms of like influencers and youtube kids and whatever else mm. they seem to hit their mark in terms of their uh, proliferation faster than they get their monetization game mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. place so i think there's a lot of creepy bullshit going on with you know older types sneaking in when somebody when some kid is having an influencer moment mm. on, on on some uh social media platform um, uh, but some people have been very successful at, at creating their own monetary models and it is yes. possible. Um, back in the day, it was very difficult to make your own money. If you were making sort of like mainstream accessible art, um, yes. you would have to go through some sort of gatekeeper system to get, to get to a point where you were uh, ubiquitous. If you, if your art like was uh suitable to that you know mm. um but uh but now you can you can it is possible where it was impossible you can make your own business model and you can go and do your own thing and you don't need to know the right manager or the right no. label um it gets a little bit more complicated when you talk about touring because touring is still um sort of held down by companies that um hold venue yes access and you know who they are we don't need to talk about that but um but uh yeah i think i think it's closer to fair a little bit yeah yeah no but you can I, still I, lose I it all you can still lose it all like Definitely. that's still you know yeah that's that's a very well-rounded answer and um yeah that's that I, I i get what you're saying with that i'm almost 50 so i might be wrong that's another, <laughs> that's another thing what <laughs> you're you're almost 50 when when you turn 50 uh 2023 oh wow do you know this is right so you're nearly 50 i'm 31 look at how fucking awful time has been to me and how <laughs> how brilliant it's been to you like you... but did, mate didn't you start off in radio yeah i did yeah 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 Face that'll forward. kill you that'll kill you that'll yeah, just yeah. get you know i think you look pretty young oh stop it come on you You're come on so and so but <laughs> <You> just met <laughs> um and but mind you you said i've got free waiters tickets for life right so this is, i don't need to do any more i don't need to do any more of it. no <laughs> um when we talk about like you know joking and saying about free waiters tickets for life and and and, and touring and gigging what is next for you? I know you've had a mini tour over in the US. It seems to go very, very well for you. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Um, that's 10 pounds, please. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> when are you coming over here? We have been trying with our booking agent, a guy named Ed Sellers down in London. 
uh, our UK booking agent to, to reorganize what was intended to be our 2020 20th anniversary tour. Wow. Okay. Um, and damn it. If COVID hasn't somehow figured out a way, <laughs> multiple different ways to yeah. screw it up, either it's, a uh, another lockdown or, oh goodness. Um, all of the big acts thought that they were coming over in 2021. They've all rescheduled for 2022 because it wasn't quite right. They couldn't get yeah. insurance for COVID and blah, 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 blah. So that means that the pecking order shifts to everybody down a year. It, it, it's been um, a pr pretty intense sort of like barrel of surprises. Um, and they keep coming. So as soon as we can get over there and safely do 40 dates in pubs it's happening i'm there um, I'm, I'm i'm at all 40 dates it's gonna that's, be a lot of drinking that's our thing the uk is one of these countries where you can just go town to town you can hit the Loughboroughs and the peter leaves mm -hmm. and the scunthorpes and you can really you know the the yeovils and the look and at the, you and your and, geography and the, knowledge yeah you're not and, fucking about are you no no and the carlisles and the, and all the fun places where the big acts don't necessarily always go. Yes. Um, we love doing that. Uh, nothing makes me happier than to play an early Sunday evening. Mm -hmm. Everyone's had their roast and um, they're not going to have 10 beers. They're going to have three, but they're going to have them while we play for 90 minutes. Amazing. And the walls are sweating, you know? Uh, yeah, That's, yeah, yeah that's my native environment. You can smell the roasty vegetables off in the kitchen. And it's just, I feel at home doing that. I feel like we're in some modern version of Lord of the Rings and Strider is sitting in the corner having a pipe and we are, uh, <laughs> we're just, it's the right place for us. And I'll do that. I'll do that 50 nights in a row Amazing. across the United Kingdom. It never bothers. Some backs go over there and they do the academies. They do seven mm -hmm. dates in the big cities. I have no, desire to do that i want every little nook and cranny uh, i want to i want to find all the pubs and all the sweaty rock you know holes and <laughs> uh and fill them up <laughs> it sounded sounded very borderline kinky i'm not gonna lie it sounded like what you <laughs> wanted to sound like <laughs> I, I know my bbc regulations <laughs> this is well i'm i'm I, i'm a long way from them but anyway um well, I, the, the, the last thing I guess I want to ask you before I, I do let you go, um, what would your advice be, Brendan, to an aspiring musician? We touched upon the stuff with social media and stuff earlier and the difficulties you've had touring and everybody's had gigging. Um, COVID uh, was, was responsible for putting the music industry internationally um, onto its kind of life support machine. Now we're coming out of that. What is your what would your advice be to somebody who, who just wants to fucking do it? I would say that clout is overrated short-term bullshit. I would focus on long-term genuine interest. Um, you don't have to show everybody everything you do all the time. You can mm. take your time to make something that is more special. That says more about the human condition. Um, uh, you, you know, I mean, there's there's plenty of place for influencer videos and Instagrams and all kinds of fun TikToks and stuff. I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying in the grander scheme, uh, your your art form can um, can outshine all of that in the long run. 
And that's mm. hard. That's hard to do. It's even harder to do now that there's this sort of clout race. It's almost daily yes. or sometimes hourly, yeah. um, you know, uh, contest for attention. And I yes. think that I think that there's still room for big, beautiful art um, mm. that can last, that can be uh, sustained for the long term. So I would focus on that if I were a new artist now and not be so concerned with finding my daily place. Mm. Okay. That that's that will ring true to a lot of people and I'm sure people will hang on to that. You know, because when we have guests come on, we I often ask, you know, that that very question to to most of my guests and and I think, you know, a bit like the spinal tap question at the beginning of the interview it always generates a different and an interesting response, but I again I, I really, um, I can really relate to that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a bloody pleasure. And when you come over here, um, we're not going to drink three pints. We're going to drink 19. We're going to end up in a strip club. It's going to be horribly expensive for you because you earn more than me. And, uh, <laughs> and it's going to be amazing. Oh man, you have big dreams, my friend. Big I, I, dreams. I, I do, and 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 big trousers as well because I've put on a lot of weight over uh, lockdown. But but thank you, um, so so much for for coming on, and um, I am really looking forward to uh, to seeing you guys over here. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, and you know we'll see you as soon as we possibly can. I promise. <laughs>